So our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of, of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Thanks so much, George. And there's an outline in the leaflet there, if uh, that helps you as you're following along. It'd be great to have the Bibles open, because I'm going to just take us through uh, those few verses together. And uh, I think it will be enormously helpful if you've got those open in front of you. Uh, I remember hearing a church pastor uh, who was going through a bit of a difficult time uh, saying to me that he thought uh, Matthew 18 verses 19 and 20 should be rewritten something like this. Uh, if two or three of you on earth agree about anything, it's a miracle. Uh, for when <laughs> two or three of you are gathered in my name, there you will have conflict. And uh, like, can I say, it's not, that's not really been my experience as a pastor over the years. I'm not saying I haven't been involved in or generated uh, conflict at different points, but not my, my steady sort of experience. But the reality is we belong to a community that shares deep convictions and we hold those convictions very strongly. Not only that, we have very high expectations, I think, about the way in which we should treat one another. So when you put those two things together, it's not that surprising that there are going to be some tensions that will arise in our community from time to time. Sin occurs in a Christian community. Uh, we have disagreements. Um, Christians hurt one another. Relationships can be damaged. But the thing is, often when that sin occurs, we don't always handle it particularly well. Uh, we don't deal with it in the way in which we should, and that can continue to damage relationships. I think there are a couple of uh, sides of this fence we can fall on. We can deal uh, too harshly or too legalistically with sin. I remember when Sue and I, when I was studying at Bible college, we went as student, mere student minister to a church. And at the end of the first service I attended, a couple, older couple called Duncan and Joyce came up to us. And, uh, or maybe it was just me. Anyway, and uh, Duncan said, you know, we're Duncan and Joyce, and we just wanted to let you know that we have the gift of rebuking. <laughs> and uh, this is the opening comment. And I thought, I thought, is that really a gift? 
That's what I thought. And then the second thought I had was, why are you telling me? <laughs> I thought it sort of set the tone for where we were heading. Um, I don't know about your experience. Maybe you've been pastorally slaughtered at some point by people who've been a bit harsh in the way they've applied this sort of teaching, these sort of verses to you, you know, sort of legalistic discipline. I think that's one side of the fence you can fall on. Then I reckon the other side is we can be too soft on sin. You know, be aware of sin, but do nothing about it. And again, I remember uh, Sue and I uh, were aware of someone we're in fellowship with who had an explosive temper. Lots of gifts, lots of great qualities, lots of heart for serving, but at different points would just explode and dump on the people around them. And, you know, I think we weren't the only ones who noticed this, uh, but we sort of thought, oh, well, that's just... George, wasn't George, but you know, that we just sort of just didn't do anything about it. And you know, if I was to opt for something that probably is a culture across the Trinity Network, probably your church, probably Adelaide generally, it's that we tend to go softly, softly, rather than you know, get into conflict or direct conversations, we'll avoid, uh, you know, because that's, that's our cultural sort of norm. So how should we deal with sin in our relationships? Well, come with me. Let's look at Matthew 18 and uh, just see what, what Jesus says to us about it. See what we can learn. Okay, what do you do when someone sins against you? Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, and I think it is against you, uh, that is, it's an interpersonal conflict, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So the context, you're sinned against by another believer. I presume there's some breakdown of relationship that we're talking about here. Go and talk to them about it. Now, I I get the fact that this is the pre-electronic era. They didn't have email or mobile phones or stuff like that. Can I say, when it comes to personal conflict, email's not the way to sort it out or to start the conversation off. I actually think this advice... Problem arises, go and face-to-face speak to them about it, okay? Uh, Have the courage to actually take that sort of step. Now, this is so simple and straightforward, right? This is not complex. This is the kindergarten, you know, student can get this principle. Uh, But often, when we're sinned against, going and talking to the person who sinned against us is the last thing that Christians do. Isn't that extraordinary? Here are some of the other options, popular alternatives that people take. Right? First, this is the really, this is the number one, right? Instead of going and talk to them, what we do is we stew on it and get angry. Right? I'm sure no one here does this, but you know, um, that is what you do is you keep replaying it in your head. You develop that deeper sense of injustice and the way in which someone has sinned against you. You get angry and you want the worst for the person who's done you harm. And you mentally design a doll in the image of the person who's offended against you. And you stick pins in painful places, just mentally trying to sort of get a little bit of revenge happening here. Can I just read you Matthew 5 verse 22, Sermon on the Mount? 
Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You hear the warning there? You know, about just holding on to anger. Sometimes people just feel sorry for themselves. Uh, Here's the other really popular Christian thing. Rather than going and talking to them face to face, Christians tend to share with one another, right? Share. It's a lovely Christian word, I think. Um, That is, we catch up with a brother or sister in Christ that hasn't sinned against us and share with them what's happened to us and ask them to pray for us and get on board with uh, what's going on. What are we told to do? With sin that divides, uh, go and talk to them. Go and talk to them. Verse 15. Notice what it says there. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. What happens if you talk to other people in a negative way about someone that you feel has done you wrong? I mean, why would you seek their counsel? Because they're wise? Well, maybe they are wise. Do you think they're wiser than Jesus, really? Do you think they'll give you better advice than Jesus will give you here? I'm thinking probably not. And also, uh, can I say, if you do go face-to-face and talk to somebody about a situation and there's repentance and reconciliation, that's it. Why would anyone else ever need to know about it? Just between the two of you. And did you notice the motivation that undergirds all this? What we have here is not a biblical grievance policy for conflict resolution. It sort of does that. But why would you take this step? You know, for your psychological well-being, it's so unhealthy to store up anger. You know, much better to dump on the other person. Um, Justice must be done. Now, look at verse 15 again. If they listen to you, then you have won them over. Listen to them. Listen to you, then you've won them over. See, the whole idea here is that, that sin breaks fellowship with God and with you. And so the deep concern is that someone who has sinned against you, who's, who's in the wrong, won't wander from the Lord and fellowship with his people. It's quite powerful, isn't it? Can I say it's not easy to maintain that concern when someone has sinned against you? Here it is, though. Here is a mark of Christian maturity that when you are sinned against, your concern is primarily for the person who has sinned against you, not for yourself. And I've observed that over the years. I remember when I joined the staff team at Trinity, so we're talking uh, 30 years ago, I was working for a man called Reg Piper, godly man. And I remember being in a, a meeting with him when he took a phone call and the person on the other end of the phone was so angry with him. And while I was only listening to Reg's side of the phone call, I could actually clearly hear the other side of the phone call as well. So loud was it on a handheld, you know, landline uh, phone at that stage. 
And the accusations and everything was so outrageous, you know. And I know I didn't necessarily know all the details, uh, but Reg was so patient, so kind, and just trying to work out how it could be sorted out. And then afterwards, he got off the phone. He said, oh, I said, I'm so distressed. I'm so worried for that person and where they're going in Christ. And we prayed together for them. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, what a great lesson for me as a young pastor. See a godly man responding in that way to when he was sinned. And I think he was being very clearly sinned against at that point. Now, at this stage, you may say, that doesn't seem fair, you know. All the work seems to be on the person who's being sinned against, you know. <laughs> How can that be right? Can I say, actually, whenever you're aware of a breakdown in relationship, it's always your job to work at trying to sort it out, wherever you sit in the spectrum. It's interesting, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 23, listen again to what Jesus says here. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them. You get it? Aware of a breakdown in fellowship and maybe you even think the other person has just been way too sensitive you know, and way too uh, you know, precious uh, and they've taken offence where no offence was intended. And you think, oh, come on, they just need to build a bridge and get over it. You know? sort of, maybe you do feel that way, and you may feel like it's up to them to sort it. I can't sort it out for them. They should be making the first step. Friends, if you are aware of it, it is always your responsibility to try and sort it out. Always. That it is always everyone's responsibility to try and work this through. Jesus, uh, he tells us to be more concerned with the other person than for ourselves when we're sinned against. Okay, here's the baseline principle that we're working with. What if that doesn't work? Uh, what next? Okay, verse 16. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Probably takes us back to Deuteronomy 19, where some of these sort of principles are laid down. Uh, the, the witnesses here, I think they do add weight to what you're saying. Uh, they help the other person. You've already approached them one-on-one. -on -one, they haven't listened. They help the other person see that there's something more serious going on. But also, I think witnesses will probably give a level of objectivity to what's going on. You see, I'm sinned against, right? And so I uh, get a couple of people. You know, I've seen the person myself. I get a couple of people. We go on and talk to them. My witnesses may say, Paul, you're just being over the top here. Back off. You know, why have you reacted so strongly? You see, the witnesses have a balancing objectivity that they bring to bear as well. So who should these witnesses be? Well, for me, see, I always take suit because I know she'll always back me up, you know? <laughs> you know we, that's not the way you do it. You know, don't take your mother who thinks she can never do anything wrong, right? That's not the idea with the witnesses at this point. 
Because the idea here is not to win the argument. It's not to make the other person see you're in the right and they're in the wrong. The object is to win the person to the Lord and to the fellowship that we have as God's people. And therefore your witnesses, you'll choose people who will help achieve that outcome. So they may be, in your mind, you're thinking the person who's sinned against you, who will they listen to? Who are the people that they respect, who are godly in our church, whose voices will carry weight in this situation? Choose them. Maybe Bible study leaders. Uh, maybe just godly older men and women in the congregation who can stand with you at that point and graciously compel the gospel and bring it to bear. Can I say, in this instance, I wouldn't be getting the pastor involved at this stage. Sometimes that's appropriate. But as soon as you get a pastor like me involved, right, I turn up, whoa, this is a big deal, right? And what happens is you push the person into the corner and make it very difficult for them to escape. Right? So always we're trying to win them. So you keep trying to paint doorways and windows out of the situation so they can take those steps. Godly people, people whose voice will be heard, but not ratcheted too high at, at this sort of point. And if there's no repentance, verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, well, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It's really strong, isn't it? Don't you think? Um, because it's so strong and because we're trying to win people, can I say you don't rush this process? You know, it's not one-on-one on Tuesday, bring the witnesses on Wednesday, publicly announce it on Sunday, Monday kick them out. You know? it's, uh, th- this is not... The, I caught up with a pastor this week and he was talking about a really serious... Uh, sin situation that arisen in his church somewhere else in the network and uh, I said this sort of process it might take you six months because at each point you're talking and creating space for repentance Um, you might catch up with the person a few times this is not legalistically trying to give you tick boxes this is creating frameworks for thinking about it you might catch up with them a few times one-on-one Uh, You might then catch up with a few people with them over a period of some weeks. You might want to sit down and study the Bible together with those people for a while. You might, do you know what I mean? You you take your time patiently caring for people as you move through this process. But uh, can I say, it is strong. Yeah, you get to the point of making a public statement in church about someone's unrepentant sin. And, uh, you know, I reckon we do that next Sunday. We'll be able to hear a pin drop when it's happening. And then everyone will be going, whoa, should we have done that or shouldn't we have done that? There'll be, you know, that sort of concern in the congregation about how we do it. And that's, why are we doing it? To embarrass somebody? No. To bring them shame? No, uh, those things might occur, but that's not the reason. It's the same motivation all along, verse 15. If they listen at any point in this process, if they listen, then you've won them 
over. You've gained your brother and sister in Christ. I think it's really hard um, to take this step of rebuking those who sin. It's really hard. But can I say Christ is honoured when we do it. If we ignore sin in our community, it dishonours God and it is unloving to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because ultimately, the issue of salvation is at stake as we work this process through. It's important. Earlier in Matthew 18, it's it's interesting, verse 8, Jesus says, you're better off cutting off your hands and feet that cause you to sin and be crippled so that you don't wind up in hell. It's really strong words in in the immediate context and not to address sin in the way in which we're instructed to is an indication we actually don't love people. That's, that's the issue here. What does it mean when it says to treat someone like you would a pagan or a tax collector? That's what it says in verse 17. Uh, sometimes people go back to 1 Corinthians 5 where there is a, an instruction about someone sinning in the community, still holding themselves out as Christians, and therefore ultimately not eating with or fellowshipping with them. And some people say that maybe that's what's going on. Though when you look at Matthew's gospel, it doesn't seem to me you come to that conclusion. Uh, earlier in the, uh, the gospel, how does Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners and pagans? Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. He calls Matthew a tax collector to follow him. Then in verse 10, he has dinner at Matthew's house with a stack of other tax collectors and sinners. I think at this point when Jesus is saying, treat them as an unbeliever, tax collector or sinner, he's saying if there's no repentance, then treat them like you would someone who doesn't believe and evangelise them. Look at how you embrace them and evangelise them. Don't treat them as a Christian. Treat them as someone who needs to be won back into the kingdom at the end of this process. Win them over. Uh, verse 15. And again, the the immediate context, you go back to verses 12 to 14, it talks about the man who has a hundred sheep, one one wanders off, and so he goes searching for that one sheep. He doesn't want any of his precious ones to perish. That's God's attitude towards sinners. And I take it that tone flows over to this instruction that immediately follows. Our heart is to see people always wander Christ. Then what we have, uh, these verses in verses 18 to 20 about, well, they're often used for uh, encouraging people to attend prayer meetings. Just seem to have no context at all here, really. Uh, You know, just sort of random ideas. Let me read them and make a couple of comments about them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. But when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am uh, with them. See? Two or three gather in my name. Make sure you don't miss the church prayer meeting. Okay? The context, though, tells you that's 
probably not what it's about, doesn't it? Context is always so important. Can I say, in my experience, it is one of the toughest things in uh, Christian relationships to confront somebody about their sin. I reckon this is really hard. And, you know, I talk to you as someone who has set aside as a pastor to do this. I do it, but I don't find it easy at all. And as I read verses 18 to 20, these verses operate like the heavenly endorsement for taking their steps. You know, when we care for one another, in line with verses 15 and 16 and 17, God stands with us. When you talk to a brother or sister about sin and you bring witnesses along or bring it before the church, that is when two or three agree, the two or three of the witnesses that we're talking about earlier on, when that happens, when you're concerned for their salvation, then you line up with God who does not want any of his little ones to perish. Not one of these sheep to be lost. Verse 18, truly I tell you, what you bind on earth, when you take these steps, they know that all heaven stands with you as you do it. That's the endorsement of God. I don't think it's blanket teaching about prayer, uh, but, but about when two or three of you are taking steps to lovingly care for wayward brothers and sisters in Christ. We're acting as God's ambassadors as we correct and we rebuke one another. Isn't that a wonderful uh, assurance? Wonderful word. Let me just for a few moments um, think through some of the issues that I think uh, get raised by this passage. There'll be a stack and I won't answer them all. Feel free to grab me afterwards. Love to talk to you about them. But let me just talk about a few. Are there any expectations to this? Can I say, I don't think this is a legalistic, you know, enshrined, prescriptive way of dealing with everything. I think it's a framework way of dealing properly with sin. So, uh, uh, you know, if I can just say that. But I can think of a couple of spots even in the New Testament where it doesn't seem to be followed. Uh, When you go to Galatians 2, verse 14... Uh, you see that Paul confronts Peter before the whole church because of his sin of hypocrisy. Doesn't seems to bypass all of Matthew 18 and run straight to the church. Uh, so you sort of think the... Uh, but it's just, I, I think the reason for that is because the sin is very public and because Peter is a, is a leader among God's people. And I think whenever sin occurs... It, my sort of level, at Jamie's sort of level, at a higher leadership sort of level, and it's public, it's got to be dealt with publicly. The church needs to know, as a matter of integrity, the way in which this is, this is happening. There may be private conversations that occur, but I reckon it just does need to happen that way. The second thing is, um, do we apply this teaching to every sin? Okay. Uh, and I suspect not. 
you know. Uh, Sue and I take Jamie and Aisha out for a meal. We ought to do that sometime. <laughs> and uh, we're sitting at a Chinese meal and we all order our favourite favorite foods and we're going to share them together. And I order chi-chi prawns. I just love chi-chi prawns, you know. And it comes out and Jamie sees the chi-chi prawns, thinks he'd like to try and scrape them all onto his plate. All right? And uh, I know gluttony is a sin, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm really clear about this. And so I think Matthew 18 must test through this process. I, I'm thinking maybe not. Um, this is probably not the way to go. I, I suspect we go to 1 Peter 4, you know, where it talks about love covering a multitude of sins. It's not a big deal, is it? You know, so I don't think it actually applies to every possible sin. But it is talking about sin that destroys relationships with God and each other. So most likely we're talking about habitual sort of sin as well. Uh, sin that's in a certain direction and repeated quite often. That would be my uh, guess pastorally about the way we do it. That's why back in verse 8 of chapter 18 it talks about if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. But if you enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. I think we are talking about the sin that destroys relationship with God. And I get the fact that all sin does at one level, but I think there's a pastoral judgment to be made when it comes to these sort of matters. Wisdom to actually discern this and wisdom about your own personal offence rather than someone's salvation. Can I just come back to a point I made earlier? I think we do need to be careful about sharing things for prayer. Uh, Don't engage and talk about someone else's sin unless you know they're paying attention to this passage. Um, Someone comes and says to you, I'm really concerned about a sin that John is engaged in. What's your first question? Have you spoken to John about this? That is your first question. Or someone comes and says, you're oh, so hurt by the way in which Jane spoke to me just the other day. What's your first thing you say? Have you spoken to Jane about it? What's the most common response you get? Oh, there's no point. Okay? Actually, Jesus thinks there is. Um, you know, like, there is a point to doing that. And think about the alternative. There's no point to doing that. Right, so you're so much better off talking to me about it, letting me know about it, so my relationship with the other person is muddied, so you enlist me onto your team to endorse the behaviours you're taking and cutting the person off because they've sinned against you because, see, the whole cycle is just sinfully destructive, isn't it? I'm not saying there's no point ever for talking to godly people about a situation But I think you're going to be at least in the two or three witness stage, not in this initial stage. So be careful as a community that we work with integrity here um, so that we're a strong and confident community that does not gossip or backbite. We don't allow that as brothers or sisters in Christ. Can I just really underline that? I think that's so important. And then the final thing I just want to say is... We need to get our hearts right. You would have picked this up as I was going through it. But I have encountered people over 30 years who feel like they have been pastorally slaughtered 
uh, by church leaders and elders using these sort of principles. That is, they've taken Matthew 18 and in all its harshness and legalism, uh, beaten people about the head with it. Uh, No love, uh, but great with rules. Um, We need to be careful we don't do that. Uh, But can I again just say, I suspect that's not going to be our main problem. I think our problem is going to be that we'll tend to dodge around these sort of situations when we shouldn't ignore sin. And it is unloving to do that. It's unloving. We demonstrate our lack of love by our inactivity when we allow sin that threatens relationships with God or with us to happen. Do not let anyone wander from the Lord is the point that's going on here. And then just a writer, um, if someone approaches you with these sort of concerns one-on-one, uh, do have the grace and humility to listen. Uh, don't get on your high horse and be outraged. Just keep remembering that in 99% of cases, approaching you to talk about it is incredibly hard. So listen. Listen. And just in the Lord, try and work out what there is for you to learn as you do it. Flipping on its head, when you are sinned against, uh, it is easy to accumulate hurt over time, uh, to become cynical or angry or bitter or critical or self-protective. Maybe that's your situation where you've just just happened a few too many times and so you've pushed yourself to the edge of the room and you're very careful about how much you engage. Can I encourage you to read through Jesus' teaching that immediately follows this instruction from verse 21 on? Peter, here's uh, what Jesus has been saying about this process and he asks the obvious question, doesn't he? Uh, Verse 21, he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Because all the responsibility seems to be on the person being sinned against. And Peter knew that the Jews, they had a sort of rule of three, you know, three and then cut them off, you know. And so Peter says, seven times, you know, it's almost doing a circuit, you know, waving to the crowd. Uh, And Jesus says, no, no, 77 times. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying forgiveness at this point is bottomless and endless. We never stop. We never pull back. We never disappear. We always step into that space. These words of Jesus, I hope you can see that they require extraordinary strength and courage and humility and wisdom and love and patience to put into practice. They're not easy words, are they? And I'd be stunned if as we've just worked our way through this this morning that it hasn't hit some bells for you along the way. Uh, Maybe hurt that you've stored up, sin that you've got to repent of, 
been sinned against, but you haven't really forgiven the person who sinned against you. Courage, uh, because you know there's someone you should talk to, but you've been avoiding it because it's actually so difficult to do. So what I'm going to do is actually just stop for a few minutes so that you can think through the implications of this and just reflect on, maybe even make a note to self about something you need to do. Um, just once you take a moment to do business with God one-on-one and uh, we'll something be played while we do that, but just pray to God. And then maybe in about two minutes' time, what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull us back together and just pray for us, okay? So let's do business with God now. I just lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, you are like the shepherd of sheep. Uh, you have a deep care for each one. And when one goes missing, you go out searching. And Father, we pray that we will share your heart, your compassion, your grace and your mercy. Uh, when we're uh, sinned against, that we'll have a deep regard Uh, for the other person, uh, the person who is at risk and vulnerable of wandering from you, and that even in our own hurt, I will extend the grace and mercy you've shown us to them. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll help us to have courage, uh, but to be able to exercise that courage with our arms around people rather than yelling at them, uh, so that we won't get shouty in our relationships, but rather kind and gentle as we seriously treat one another in this area. Father, we pray you'll unite us around the truth of the gospel and as a community that that has great integrity 
at this sort of point. Father, graciously go before us, help us to mirror uh, the gospel in our relationship and in our life together, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I, just one word, as I, just before I step down, uh, I get the fact that I haven't covered everything, um, and you'll, there'll be several of you will be thinking, oh, you've just missed my point, you know, or my situation, or you don't understand my circumstances. I know I have, okay? Uh, very happy to chase it through, or do chase it through with Bible study leaders or one of the pastoral team. There are complexities around this, and if you feel I've been overly simplistic in your case, I apologise. Uh, don't then just dismiss it. Work out what you need to do to actually chase it through. Okay? And uh, as I said, I'll be around for a while afterwards. Do feel like you can come and talk to me. I'm going to hand it over to Helen so she can keep leading us in prayer. Thanks, Helen.